Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond Normal podcast, where we highlight minority business owners and founders, and we use this platform to shed light on their entrepreneur journey. Welcome, everybody, to the Beyond Normal podcast. Uh, I'm the host, Kenny Groom. I'm excited to have Mike Jackson. He is the founder uh, and CEO of Black Tech Talent, uh, which aims to increase uh, the representation of Black technologists in both corporate careers and entrepreneurship. Thanks for coming on for our episode, Mike. For sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is a, a real pressing issue for me and, you know, just in general right now, I think the landscape, we're trying to have representation uh, for Black talent across different industries. But before we dig into uh, the great work you're doing at Black Tech Talent, you know, I want to give you some time to tell the folks a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from, and uh, what led you to where you're you're at now being the CEO of Black Tech Talent. Yeah, so I'm from the, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis to be specific. I've lived all over, but, you know, grew up in Minneapolis, and, uh, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. That's always just been who I am and part of what I do, a creative entrepreneur at that, just figuring out creative ways to make money and enjoy what I'm doing. You know, I won't go through my, my whole history. If people want to kind of check that out, they can check out my documentary, Farewell Mike J, which goes through 13 years of, of my entrepreneurship. And that's available on YouTube and, and will be available on Amazon soon. But you know, essentially, just as of recent, the last couple of years, you know, I, I, I co-produced a conference called Bitcoin, the Blacks and Technology Conference. And, you know, being involved with putting that together in that organization, I was able to, you know, really jump into the diversity and inclusion space. And what brought me to working with them is on a company called The Premium Experience. And we developed an app called The Premium App. And Premium is an event marketing platform that helps venues and promoters better understand their target audience through data. And so <clears throat> as they were putting the, the first one together, I ended up meeting um, a woman named Elizabeth Cotton, who at the time was the director of strategic partnerships. And, um, you know, they told me they were getting ready to put this conference together. And so I just kind of started off consulting and advising on kind of the Twin Cities and just kind of the Black culture here and, and you know, different circles to kind of run in to advertise two different venues to utilize, stuff like that. And then through that process, I, I helped book uh, Nipsey Hustle to come be a speaker for one of the panels that we put together. So getting involved in that way kind of brought me to running the Twin Cities chapter of, of Blacks and Technology, but I had to build it up from scratch. And there was just a lot of things that um, weren't structured, I guess, the way that I was structured, you know, from an entrepreneur standpoint. And so I started speaking on more and more panels. I started speaking at corporate events about diversity and inclusion, about culture, about entrepreneurship. Um, and then we ended up having the shutdown. And so with the shutdown, it really, uh, you know, affected my business on the entertainment side because right before, you know, Minnesota, we shut down in March. So the Thursday, right before we had our first stay at home order, I was closing deals with celebrities for my celebrity slumber party. I was closing deals with, with 
um, TV stations to 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 show our uh, Fame Summit live. I was I was booking speakers, booking venues. Like literally that Thursday, I had closed a bunch of deals, and then I think by Tuesday, we were ordered to start staying at home. So week after week after week, I had to start canceling events, rescheduling events, and then I had some big deals. I'm in the works for for big summits and conferences and concerts and festivals. And obviously those ended up not happening this year. So that definitely took a toll on on my business premium. And so I'm sitting around, this is April now, and I'm sitting around and I'm like, who still has money? And as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, well, the governments are struggling. They got to pay out, you know, mind you, this, this is March, April. So they just paid people tax return money. Now you have unemployment they got to worry about. And all this is before we even get into get into the protests and the civil rights movement, right? And so I'm like, well, tech companies still have money. They have the most money. And so even though a lot of them were scaling back on hiring or even laying people off or furloughing, I think they needed time to really sit and think and go, we have a lot of money in marketing and then sponsorships that we're not putting out because those events weren't happening anymore. And so sure enough, you know, a lot of them are hiring people back now, now that things are more steady and stable as far as, as far as for them, a lot of the world is still unstable in a lot of industries and and companies, but for tech, I mean, everybody's had to scale up, whether it's banks being able to accept, you know, the, the applications for the PPP, or the EIDL, or just, you know, everybody's had Zoom. I mean, if you remember when Zoom started, when we this started, Zoom was crashing all the time. They weren't ready for this level of engagement. So literally all these tech companies have had to scale up and be, I mean, Google switched up how they're, they're doing Google Meet, um, you know, Microsoft Teams, a lot of these platforms have had to hire and scale up because so many people are working from home and utilizing more technology and creating more content. And so when I looked at it from that standpoint, and then I just looked at it from an economic standpoint of like, whenever the economy is doing bad or whenever America is doing bad, black people get it the worst, right? So I'm already in this diversity and inclusion space um, from, you know, doing BitCon. I've obviously being black, I've always built, you know, diversity and inclusion into every company that I've built. I was, I was doing a series called Mix and Mingle where I was teaching people of color uh, how to how to properly network and make contacts and how to present their businesses and and stuff like that and I was doing that I think January through March right I was doing it twice a month so that's already something that I was doing and passionate about and I'm like how can I utilize my experience and a you know save myself because my one of my businesses is suffering well really two of them right photography and film. And then B, how do I also save my people? And so I'm like, well, these companies still have money. If I if I reach out and, and kind of remind them that they still have money and remind them that this is a time to, to be diverse and, and inclusive when things like this are going on, maybe we can make something happen. So in April, I reached out to a few companies. They said they'd be interested in if we built it out. That gave me the confidence to start building it out. And so did that, put put together a team. By mid-June, we were done testing the site. By July, we got our first paying clients. Um, we just made a post the other day 
uh, highlighting our first 10 um, corporate clients, which we're, we're, we've surpassed 10, but we wanted to highlight the first 10 that believed in us. Because even though I'm not new to entrepreneurship, even though I'm not new to this space, the company is new. And so it means a lot for us as, as being a startup to um, have that initial support from, from these different organizations. And we're growing every day. I think between yesterday and today, we've got five more corporate clients um, that have reached out that are at some end of the funnel, whether it's they reached out and we're going to set up a meeting or they're getting ready to post. So literally every day uh, we're growing companies are reaching out to do strategic partnerships with us. Um, we just had a company that does, you know, uh, research and they're trying to help black people um, be better identified in technologies like Zoom when we want to use the backgrounds or like Snapchat or these different platforms that people are using that when we use them, they're not accurate. And so that company just reached out today. So literally every single day we're growing and, and getting bigger. And so that's where we're at today. We won the 2020 uh, Inclusive Evolution Award from the Minnesota Startup Awards, been featured in the, the Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal, the Spokesman Recorder, KMLJ Radio, uh, now the Beyond Normal podcast, right? Um, the Tech.MN podcast, so, you know, a ton of press and just a lot of work, just working every, literally every single day around the clock to to uh, help our people. I appreciate you sharing that, Mike, because um, you making that pivot, right? Um, your, your primary business, like you said, it's just impacted by COVID and kind of transitioning some of your skills. Um, over to this newer space, you know, um, that pivot uh, for a lot of people, a lot of business owners, just a lot of people, life in general, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's something that we all had to do. And so you, you, you know, you fought through that. You, you, you immediately said, okay, I got to pivot. I got to make sure, like you said, that first priority for you, right? Like, you know, follow that money, right? Follow where yeah. you feel like some of these businesses within your community, they're going to put their resources, and then two, you were able to have that social good aspect too, which is always that's a bonus. We always want to make sure that we're up, uplifting our community. So though you having those two right from the very beginning in, in, in the purpose of your business, you know, that's something that everybody doesn't get that, right? They don't get, all right, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of opportunity here along with, all right, I'm also adding that there, there, there's a social good uh, element uh, as well. Uh, one thing I want to touch on though, um, your experience in the entertainment industry, I feel like um, from a branding perspective, right? That's something that I know we touched on your branding, just the way that you're um, communicating how black tech talent is going to be positioned in the market. You know, that's been spot on. That's right from the very first time, you know, we had a conversation. I'll let you know, like the branding is just superb. It sticks out. Um, can you speak a little bit about your entertainment background and, you know, what, what are some things, you know, skills, qualities that you feel like you've been able to uh, leverage right from day one from your entertainment background in this new space? For sure. And, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of a lot of this history is in, in the documentary Farewell Mike J. So I, I want to because I want to I want to get to all your questions and make sure we have you know, a good good amount of time to to get through that. But, you know, the quick version is I had a clothing line called Sneakerheads Clothing and I was I was 
able to get to different celebrities to rock my stuff, especially when they came to town and promoters and stuff always saw me with this camera. And at this time, the DSLR cameras, the big cameras, professional cameras, um, they were crazy expensive. And so nobody really had them, especially if you were black. And so it gave me a lot of access because people would just assume I was press, <laughs> right? And so I could walk in, I'd just say I'm press and, and they security would let me walk into VIP uh, I'd get backstage. Um, and then there were no forward facing cameras on the cell phones yet. Right. And so there was no, there was no selfie yet. And so women would be out looking, looking good and they'd want their pictures taken. And even though I wasn't there for that, you know, I'd take their pictures and then they'd, they'd, they'd obviously ask for my number or website so they could get their pictures. And so, you know, leveraging that is what, what got me more into kind of the media side of things. And then, like I said, I was already working with celebrities mainly for my clothing line. And then that just brought me to be around promoters a lot. And then I learned the game on promoting and I started producing my own events to support the clothing line. And then I just continued on, you know, doing concerts and, and stuff like that. Moving forward um, at 23, I had my first movie deal in Hollywood for, for a feature film that I wrote. And I did a short film called Vigilante, which got a, a, a lot of um, interest from the industry as well. And so that whole experience really showed me that, you know, I'm around all these important people, but I'm the only boss in the room. So here I am, you know, at this time, you know, I think I'm 23, 23, 24 and so this is like my dream to work in Hollywood and, and have film picked up and do all this. And I still had to make executive decisions because there was some some shady stuff coming from different angles from me being, you know, people wanted to try me from being the, the new kid in the room. And, you know, I looked around and I'm like, all these people have important titles, but I'm the only person who has the power to say yes or no about what's going on with this project that I'm working on. And so, you know, that kind of gave me more confidence in being independent and that whatever I did here in Minnesota, I could make pop anywhere else um, that I wanted to make pop. And so, you know, that's kind of a quick overview of, of, of the background and how I've transitioned through different companies and entertainment. The way that I, I utilize that now with, with Black Tech Talent is, number one, I do understand branding from from a fashion standpoint, having the brand sneakerheads like this hat, this logo, you get what I'm saying? All, all the stuff we do looks like merch. It looks like it's it's coming from a brand. The, the quality we use, the materials, the way we design things. So now you're not looking at a tech company that has a hat and this is just a hat with a logo. This is something you wanna buy. This is something I've had people be like, when can I get that hat? And it's like, do you even know what this hat means? Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But but that's how it is. So the way we brand ourselves is from that from that aspect. You know, the branding is is more something you want, something you want to aspire to to have. When we look at, um, you know, the way we put out content with with our podcast, um it's the same thing we brand we put it together the same way i would put together a tv show if i was doing a tv show or if i was doing something in hollywood so that experience you know that i have has has channeled over into the, the just the overall presentation of black tech talent and how we how we utilize and put together the things we're putting together now 
if you look at the overall, you know, me transferring my skills to this, I know culture. I know our culture and I know American culture, right? So one, I just told you, I already have the mentality of a lot of times I'm the only boss in the room. I could be talking to somebody who even makes more than me, but they still got to ask somebody permission to do whatever it is we talk about doing. I don't have to ask anybody permission. If I say I want to do it, we can do it today, right now. Let's do it, right? So number one, that's that's my mentality. Number two, um, the presentation we just talked about, the way we do the branding, the look, the feel of what we're doing. Number three, when you're looking at, at Black culture, entertainment is a big part of it, right? Fellowshipping is a big part of it. Trust is a huge part of it. So, you know, the company I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm not going to mention the name because we haven't, I haven't decided if we're going to work with them yet, but the company, you know, they reached out and they said, hey, you know, the Black community is really hard to tap into. I work for this company, such and such, and we're trying to do research and we would like to, you know, offer, um, you know, participants if they do the study, you know, a certain dollar amount and a bonus if we do this and we want them to take pictures and do videos and blah, blah, blah. And I responded and I said, listen, first off, thank you for reaching out. And I said, part of the community that I've built and being a, a leader in this community is trust in my members trust that when I'm sending them something, it's a good opportunity and that it's been vetted and, and, and that they're safe. And so I said, you know, before I can assess whether we're going to, whether we're going to work with you, the first thing I need to know is what is the research you're doing? What's the intent of this research? I said, and what kind of photos do you want them to take? And what kind of videos do you want them to take? Because when I, when I, let my community know, hey, this is an opportunity maybe for some some extra money. This is an opportunity to be part of some type of research that may help us. Uh, I need to know what I'm what I'm what I'm telling them, right? I need to trust it first. And so, and then I told them as well. I said, and also, like you just mentioned above, it is a hard community to tap into, and we spent a, a lot of money and resources building this community and building trust in it. So we do charge a fee for outreach. And I think, and it's important that I say that because we are a business, right? We are LLC, we are a startup. And um, I think people, you know, who work at some of these billion dollar and trillion dollar <laughs> companies forget that, uh, that you're asking us to work for free and we're a business. And so when you come to us, we're going to do business. And so at the end of the day, I, you know, I just left it like that and kept it honest and they followed up and was like, Hey, and then they laid out exactly what they want to do. And I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Could be beneficial to my members. And, you know, they asked me to get back to them with, you know, what we would charge for a fee. I haven't gotten back to them yet. Um, this all just happened this, this morning, but um, you know, that leadership role and that confidence to have these type of conversations is what's transferred over from that entertainment role too. Cause like I said, you go from, you know, a young in your early twenties, I'm 31 now. So you go from that and going in a room in Hollywood when you're like, this is my dream um, to then realizing you, you actually have all the power. They have, they have resources, but you have the power. Right. And so I've been able to transfer 
all those skills and, and resources into this. And I want to say as well, when I started out with, you know, putting together Bitcoin and, and, and being involved with Blacks and technology, there were uh, people who definitely thought I was cool and respecting me for the entertainment stuff because a lot of them, once again, like I said, you'll have people with cool titles, cool company perks. They've never met celebrities. They've never worked with celebrities. Um, they've never produced, you know, uh, a yacht party on the biggest yacht in the state. They've never helped route Chris Brown's tour and a lot of these things I've been able to do. And so they, they, they think that's cool and it is cool. Right. But there's still, even, even with that being said, there were still people who um, underestimated me on the tech side because I started off as a non-technical founder when I started premium. But since then I've, I've educated myself through, through online boot camps and, and courses on Udemy and and I, I took a Google IT course and I didn't do it because I want to start coding or because I want to work for someone else. I did it so I could better lead my team. And that's a leadership quality. So the advantage that I have is not be not because uh, you know I'm personally going to develop and code and build a you know some type of crazy proprietary platform. The, the advantage that I have is I have culture. I know how to speak to black people in our culture. Our culture is above the career. I don't care if you're in tech. I don't care if you're a farmer. I don't care if you're in entertainment. I don't care if you're in fashion. I don't care if you're in financial. For us, culture is above any of that. So if I can speak to you at a cultural level, then I can speak to you no matter what field you're in. And so those people who underestimated me because of that, that's the whole reason they can't do what I'm, what I've been able to do in five months, because you can only speak to people who speak your language. And I can speak, I can, I'm a multilingual when it comes to this cultural stuff. I feel like you got to like brush your shoulder off right there. Mike. Yeah, you know. that, was, that was a good one. That was good. And I'm soaking up that game and, and I know the listeners are as well. And, you know, you just, you know, you, you just going in a room and knowing your worth, um, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. Right. And so right. Um, you, you going in with that mindset right from the very beginning, you know, that's inspirational. Um, I know myself, I'm going to take away a lot. You know, you just gave gym upon gym upon gym about how to how to navigate owning a business in this current environment. I want to pivot a little bit, um, you know, thinking about, like you said, in five months, you've done so much, right? Um, what's, what, what's something that you, uh, you've you learned throughout that five-month process that you wish you could have, you, you know, maybe known, you know, go in a time machine, right? Go back a couple months, go back six months, go back 12 months that you wish you would have knew previously that you feel like if you knew it just a little bit earlier, you'd be that much further ahead. To be honest, we're so early and I've I got so much experience prior to that there's nothing really that I'm like kicking myself over. Um, there's been things I've learned that that I think I learned right on time to then now start executing. So one of the things that I learned is like retention is a big problem. So some of these companies aren't hiring diverse in the first place. Some of them are trying to hire diverse, but then they're not inclusive. And diversity is different from inclusion. Diversity is having diverse employees. 
Inclusion is appreciating and having a culture that fosters all of those diverse employees. So if you have Asian, Black, White, Latinx, you know, uh, uh, all these different cultures, but then you expect them to act white while they're at work, that's not inclusive. If you don't respect their opinions when they give opinions in, in, the, in these board meetings, if you don't include them on important projects, if you don't give them raises when they deserve raises and bonuses when they deserve bonuses, that's not inclusive. If, if all your company outings are at the golf course or, you know, you know, it's, it's the uh, company baseball tournament, that's not inclusive. And so some, some companies have been diverse or at least trying to be, and, but they're failing on the inclusive side, not intentionally, but you know, when you're just now being diverse or, or, you know, maybe over the last five years or however long it's been, you're not going to know how to be inclusive because you're looking at it as, well, we gave you a job or paying you good money. You should be happy. And like I just mentioned earlier, culture for us comes first. All those things come after that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and another thing, just, just on a side note is like, black people are, are the most, uh, I should say black, black and Latin, black and, and, and brown people are the most statistically likely to have to help family members uh, when we get on. So hiring me and paying me 150000 a year before taxes and hiring somebody else whose mom is good, whose dad is good, whose siblings are, are straight and giving them $150,000 a year is not the same. If I got 150,000, but mom needs this, brothers need this, you know, whoever else needs whatever else, friends are struggling, especially now during the, during the pandemic, um, it's not the same. I still have responsibilities, especially, and then if I went to school too, so I got student loans and all this, and I got the personal life, and then I'm trying to take care of other people as well, it's not the exact same. And that's why a cultural understanding is extremely uh, important. So, um, you know, so that's a that's a big thing. So retention is something I learned that's a big issue. They're hiring people. Some of some of them are hiring people that are diverse, and then they're losing them as soon as those people have an opportunity to transfer to, you know, a more diverse state, a more diverse city, or just a more diverse company, or maybe they don't feel like. Um, they'll ever find really inclusion. So they just leave to get more benefits and, and money since they're, they feel like they're going to continuously lack in the area that they're lacking in. So that was a big thing um, that I, that I, I guess gained more insight on. Um, what else? I think that's really it. Now, now that we know that we're, we're focused on helping with retention as well. Right. Um, so just having these different conversations and we're putting together some surveys and, and some workshops and stuff around around employee retention for di diverse employees. So but I think everything, we've, you know, I really went into this this company at, with a lot of intention. And so, you know, last year, 2019, I did I was in Google for startups and we did we did that with Fuel Collective um out of their downtown location and so i met with vcs and angel investors and and you know uh bankers and a lot of different people through marketing experts um through 
uh, through that program for, for my company premium. And then I went on to get into another program uh, sponsored by Google for startups called founder gym. Their whole focus is helping uh, uh, people of color and women um, gain investment and learn how to, you know, really learn the venture capital game. And so I did that as well. Um, I'm with an organization called Mita, um, you know, which, which provides me a business consultant, and so when I when I going into this company, I kind of had like a lot of the game that I needed to have in order to to build it out. So there's not too many things where I'm like, oh, if I would have known this before I started, we would have been good. I think we're really on pace um, with with what we're trying to do. I appreciate you sharing that, too. And, um, it, you know, that that sounds like it boils down to, you You know, you did you did your research, right? You You did some connection. I think it's um, for you, you acknowledged from the very beginning, right? For you to get into tech, that's not necessarily your background. So you want to make sure you have those tools. You mentioned the Accelerator, Google for Startup, uh, Founders Gym. Shout out to Founders Gym. I've connected with a couple folks over there as well. Nice. Like you said, they give you those tools. They give you kind of the a skeleton or a framework to follow so you can kind of go along that path and figure out that VC uh, how that VC roadmap, the, the, the roadmap to VC is giving you money. Yeah. It's not a straight line for anybody out there who's uh, looking to uh, go down that path. It's definitely not a straight line. It, your, your, your path is going to zig and zag all over the place and, and, and founders in specifically um, from the folks that I've connected with and just seeing what they, they're doing there is really giving people those basic tools. Definitely, definitely. One thing I wanted to touch on um, that you you just um, you gave folks another gem around, you know, um, in, in in black and uh, brown uh, Latin and African African American communities, just um, you know, like you, that example you gave, giving somebody one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar job and how that really um, allows us to support our family. Uh, you know, when it comes to building wealth and things like that, it's very valuable for us. Um, you know, a couple stats that, you know, I, I pulled together. I'm a numbers guy just around the impact of COVID in terms of some of the businesses that we've lost. I think it's, it, it's kind of going to been brushed under the rug a little bit. Mm -hmm. African-American communities um, just in during from February to April, we lost about 440,000 uh, business owners, businesses, um, and that represented about 41 percent right, of all the businesses, African-American-owned businesses in America. Um, Latin American businesses uh, went from 2.1 million to 1.4 million. So they, they lost 32%, uh, right, of their businesses, right? And so I, I think, like you said, like the when you do business locally, you do businesses, you, you know, you do business, you, you give that check, um, you, you have that vendor, you have that partner, that's within our communities. Like you're making sure that their family eats, you're making sure that they're able to provide, you're making sure that, you know, the future generations are going to be in a situation where they at least have a level playing field, right? That's something, you know, when I set up the Beyond Normal podcast, I think for me, as I was talking to business owners like yourself and just, you know, entrepreneurs in general, uh, right now, what we really want to try to get to is parity, right? So when I'm coming up as a, a young 15-year-old Black male, um, I have parity um, with uh, other ethnicities, whether it's white, uh, uh, Asian, Latino, right? We want to make sure there's parity for, for that, that, that next generation coming up. And mm -hmm. so you point out just the, 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 the way that we 
we get one dollar and we're able to support so much in our um, ecosystem. Um, you know, hashtag, you know, support local, support black, support Latino, because um, right now we need it more than ever because businesses, you know, COVID is forcing um, a lot of businesses um, to be in tough situations right now. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I want to pivot a little bit because I, I think in your area, in the Twin Cities, uh, you guys are really um, kind of on the forefront of so some of those social um, inequality conversations that we've seen um, really start right here in the States, right? Not too far um, from you and then kind of grow into this worldwide conversation. Um, so I want to get your thoughts around, you know, how are those conversations affecting you and your business? How has that spotlight been? Because I know the Midwest has really been um, at, the at the center of a lot of those conversations. Yeah, so I'll start off by saying, you know, George Floyd was somebody that I knew um, in multiple capacities. And, you know, it's, it's a traumatizing thing. And like I said, I'm from Minnesota, born and raised. So uh, to drive past, you know, South Minneapolis and to see, you know, the remains of, of some of these buildings that have been there since I was a, a child, seeing what happened to some of these businesses and not just uh, government buildings and businesses, not just uh, corporate, not just you know, white owned businesses, but but black and brown owned businesses to see what happened. And, and like a lot of people saw, um, a lot of that damage was not done by by us. It wasn't done by the protesters. The protesters were actually on the other side of town where the murder actually occurred. So I'm not saying there were there were no black people involved. There definitely was, but a lot of the actual damage it was agitators um, trying to trying to kick off the race war. Um, we had a lot of people that got arrested from Illinois, from Wisconsin, um, from Iowa that came down here specifically to light the city on fire, blame us for it, and then start start a race war. And so, one thing I'm happy about is that even though the media didn't super highlight it, they talked about it. And they showed it and they were at least honest that that was going on because a lot of times, you know, like, like the saying goes, you know, you throw a rock and, and hide your hand. Um, that's what happens to us. They'll hit us. And then, and then when we hit them back, they don't show what happened initially. Right. And so I'm glad that that was uh, actually highlighted and brought up that a lot of that was, was outside forces uh, doing the actual damage um, regarding business, um, like I said, COVID had a kind of already damaged uh, what I was doing with premium. Um, you know, with, with Black Tech Talent, it's probably, not probably, it's definitely helped with some of the conversations we've had. Because now, now people who are honest people or view themselves as honest have to have honest conversations and, and dialogue. And anybody who has any type of conscience knows that that was wrong. Whether you believe uh, he was high, whether you believe he resisted arrest, um, that doesn't matter. What happened was wrong. Police officers are not hitmen. Their job is not to show up and kill you. It doesn't get any more simple than that. They have zip ties. They have handcuffs. They have mace. They have tasers. They have physical tactics they've been taught. There was, there was multiple officers there. 
and it wasn't a fake uh it wasn't fake currency so you shouldn't have really been in trouble to begin with so when people go well if he would have just that's racism and i hear black people say it because they have some of them have racial racism built into their mentality from how we've had to live i hear white people say it. i hear latin people say it. well if he would have just there is no if he would have just when you go when you go to to a fast food restaurant and you order your food and and they they get your order wrong and you call them out there is no well if you would have just took it home you would have been straight but now i'm going to spit in your food no give me what i ordered you have a job to do whether i'm agitating you irritating you whatever it may be you have a job to do this is not your job right so so to so like i said anybody who has a conscience those people who say that are people who love white supremacy the recipients of white privilege and when when we, we our bodies are sacrifices for their comfort meaning they they go well let george floyd be a lesson to what can happen to you if you get out of line i'm not a racist and i want it to happen but I also don't want you to come in my neighborhood and I want you to know if I threaten to call the police on you, you could die. So if he would have just cooperated, he would be here. So you, you make sure you cooperate when we call the police on you. That's what I hear when I hear people say that. What, no matter what ethnicity they are. Cause like I said, I hear black people say it too. And they say it from a place of fear. Well, I just want to get home. So guess what? I'm gonna cooperate and he should have cooperated too. Right, should have, would have, could have. That's how I look at it. I've had many uh, run-ins with the police. Um, I had a, I had a cop outside of a nightclub tell me he was going to take take me around the corner and beat my ass. And the only reason that didn't, and I stood my ground. I was like, do it. And the only reason it didn't go too far is because his partner came and stopped him. This was all over nothing. This was over. Uh, you know, I was at a concert, a promoter came out and gave me a, a VIP ticket. The bouncer got confused on which, which line I was supposed to be in. His ego kicked in. He waved the cops over. They came over and tried to be on some funny stuff and basically threatened, threatened to beat me. Uh, the same week uh, Philando was murdered, I got pulled over by a cop. A cop followed me from my house um, that I lived in at the time, which was a private community followed me from my house onto the freeway pulled me over um this is probably like 10 10 at night pulled me over asked me for my id i go to pull my id out he pulls a gun on me and tells me i'm moving too fast right after the murder of philando right um you know when i was 18 my uh my no, it was my junior prom. When I had my junior prom, uh, the first time I ever got pulled over, I got, it was after prom. And uh, I had, you know, there's all of us were in the cars, five of us in the car and the state trooper pulls me over, pulls me out the car, slams me on it, drags me all the way to the back, um, goes in my pocket, doesn't ask for my ID, just goes in my pocket, pulls everything out of my pockets, throws it on the ground, I'm 17. Um, pulls my ID out of my wallet, throws my wallet on the ground. It's raining out. I'm still wearing my, my prom outfit. 
he, he proceeds to tell me I almost ran him off the road, which wasn't true. I had just entered the the freeway. And then I saw where I was trying to get, I was lost. And then I saw where I was trying to get. And so I exited and he probably looked like, why did he get on an exit? He was just sitting in the cut like troopers do. He wasn't even driving anywhere. He didn't turn his lights on until I was exiting. But he claims, oh, you, you almost ran me off the road, blah, blah, blah. So two more cops come. They look at me and they laugh. Oh, what do we got here? You know, and uh, he's like, oh, this dumbass, you know, this dumbass almost ran me off the road, blah, blah, blah. So then they kind of looked and they seen, even though they were on some BS too, they kind of seen like, oh, wait, he's 17. And then they they searched the car. You know how they do anything in the car we need to know about? Nope. We weren't, we didn't drink at prom, nothing. We didn't smoke, nothing. Um. So they searched the car when they searched the car and realized we were high school kids all dressed up in prom, our prom outfits. I think one of them felt bad and, and was like, well, should we let him sit in the car? It's raining. And he was like, no, he can stand outside and then flipped his, his high beam on me while he ran my information. Comes back. Of course, I have no criminal record. Get in the car. Still makes me take a breathalyzer. I take a breathalyzer. It's clean still gives me a ticket. The ticket says driving faster than conditions allowed, which is a, it's basically a term that cops can use that say that doesn't mean you were speeding. It just means if it was raining, if it was snowing, you know, if something was going on, maybe you should have been driving slower. But once again, I haven't, hadn't even got up to freeway speed because I got on, I saw the hotel we were going to, and then I got off and then he came and pulled me over. So he still gives me a ticket. And then threatens me and says, if I see you on the road again, you're going to jail. Right. And so, uh, oh, before that, before before we get to the part where I get in the car, he asked me where I'm going. So I'm going to this hotel, this Radisson or whatever. That's why I exited the freeway. And he said, there's no hotel over here. And I said, yeah, it's, it's right, right around the corner. And he was like, no, there's no hotel over here. And there's a big old sign, Radisson. And I was like, it's right there. And he pulled his gun on me. And he was like, that's how people get shot. Mind you, I didn't turn around. I didn't move abruptly. He's got me facing the car. And he keeps telling me I'm lying. There's no hotel. Big old Radisson sign. I'm like, it's right there. And he pulls his gun out on me. That's how people get shot. So when you're talking about, <clears throat> you know, how this is affecting me or how it affects my business, it's built into everything I do. I've experienced this 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 type of stuff my my entire life. The day that I went to go do my acceptance speech for the, for the award that I won, um, you know, I'm I'm walking in in uh, the building I work out of. You know, it's it's downtown Minneapolis, so it's connected by a series of what we call skyways, and so each door kind of has a security entrance to get into. And so this white guy, the older white guy is in front of me. And in my head, I'm like, is he going to be cool and hold the door open for me? Or is he going to try to close the door as soon as he gets in? I have my own key. I'm just wondering, you know, as we do as black people, how this is going to play out. Because I was right, I was directly behind him, right? He goes in. Uh, he doesn't hold the door open, but he doesn't shut it because I'm pretty, I'm pretty close behind him. So I walk in. But then what he does is once you get in the middle, just like apartment buildings, once you get in the middle, you got to be buzzed in by security. 
And so what he does, he's in front of me. So he goes where he should actually be ringing the buzzer to go by security. And he steps back behind me to see if I can get in without him. And without hesitating, I hit it, show my ID badge. I go in and then I close the door behind me. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So, so you know, this is something that, you you know, as, as a black man, um, we deal with all the time, whether it's police, whether it's from society, you know, microaggressions, content in the media, the way we're portrayed. So it, it all affects it, you know. And like I said, I've been able to have um, some some good conversations with some of these different, you know, diversity and inclusion officers, some of these uh, HR managers, some of these recruiting, uh, IT recruiting, recruitment managers, um, and to be able to have some some good, honest conversations. And I think the next step for a lot of them is to be advocates within their company so that we can move forward and do real, real work, right? And that's why I mentioned it earlier and I'll mention it again, we are a startup, we are a company, we're registered as an LLC, we're a Benefit Corp LLC, but we're still an LLC. And, you know, we got to put in real work. So when you're talking with me, like, yeah, you can post your job, you can do some recruiting, you can do some sponsorship, but I'm here for real change because I've been a recipient of the victimhood. And I think that's why a lot of these companies are trying to be diverse and they're not because all the diversity and inclusion officers are white women. So there's still a cultural barrier to understanding, you know, what we what we actually go through when when hiring. Um, and that's not a, a bad thing. I don't want anybody who's gotten those positions to feel bad about being in those positions or feel like they don't deserve them. Cause that's we're like I said, we're conducting business. So business is business. I don't want anybody to feel bad for where they are in life, the opportunities they've been given, but that just means you're going to have to work with me then so that I can tell you what you're missing and what you need and, and how to make it better and how to, how to really tap into um, this community and how to understand us. And once again, you know, going back to your question about how, how my journey through entertainment benefits what I'm doing now, it is that piece. I know how to communicate to both sides. I did not want to interrupt all the gems <laughs> that you were giving the folks, Mike. Um, but, you know, to, to that point, like you said, and, and I want to go to the beginning of the conversation as well, when you said that culture piece, right, you understand the culture. And so that, that example you just gave in these instances where these institutions are not able to hire diverse talent and retain it, you know what, they do have to have conversations with you. Um, so that they can hire that talent and retain it, right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't have representation at the SVP level, the executive level in some of these big institutions, you know, how can you sit there and say that you understand my culture when I don't see anyone that looks like me, right? Making any of the decisions. It's very hard to understand a culture, right? Unless you go there, you know, you spend some time, we think about, we go on vacations, we go to the Caribbean, we go to Africa, we go to Asia, we go to these different parts of the world. You have to experience that to say that you you understand that culture. You can't just really learn culture in a book. Um, and I think the world we're in right now, um, you know, the encyclopedia, nobody goes to the encyclopedia. There's no encyclopedia for black culture, right? It's right in your face. You go to Twitter, you go to Instagram, you, you turn on a television and black culture is there. And you can learn a little bit about it from that, but you still, in order to experience it, you've got to have people who are from that culture 
representing and, and and in this instance that person representing is you right for black tech yeah. talent yeah and that's why you know what you're doing is great with with your beyond normal podcast and you know what we're doing with our podcast i get so many uh compliments and just praise for the way i direct these conversations because they are learning a lot they are you know sharing it and it's in and the way i designed it before i even started was i want to highlight our black technologists and let them tell their story. I want to educate uh, these these corporations about our culture and have conversations that they they just won't get to hear often, um, not as candidly as the, you know they may be aware of things like colorism, things about natural hair in the workplace, but they're not here. They're hearing the surface level. They're not really hearing us talk about how it affects us or even just what I talked with you now. Um, you know, being a well-respected entrepreneur, there's a lot, I'm sure a lot of pe people, when I tell these stories, especially white people, they're not going to think that I went through all this and I'm still as kind and, and cool and intelligent and level-headed as I am, knowing that I've went through these traumatic things, but those are just the tip of the iceberg. I've, I've been in trauma since a, a small child, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, um, these are conversations that I think gives them a safe space to listen without having to talk feedback or feel any type of way about what they're listening to. And it gives us the opportunity to, to, to talk with each other, but to also be heard. And then the third piece of uh, the third pillar to what I'm, what I'm doing with our content is uh, inspiring the next generation, letting them know some of the pitfalls they may go through navigating either entrepreneurship or the corporate world. Also just letting them know that some of the things that, that they may be going through now, we've been there and we know it. And you can reach out to us and, 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 and holler at us if you want to talk about it directly, or you can keep consuming the content and, and, until you're ready to have that discussion. And that's why I said culture, community, those are huge things for, you know, the way that that I'm building this company and this and, and you know, our members, because that's what's going to make it stick. That's what's going to make it last. That's what when when somebody uses a big platform like LinkedIn to recruit or ZipRecruiter or, or Indeed or, you know, any of these platforms, that's not a community. When, I, when when a company hires somebody through Black Tech Talent, that person doesn't leave Black Tech Talent till they want another job. They're still in Black Tech Talent. When you go, if you put your resume up or you're searching for jobs on, on ZipRecruiter or Indeed and you get hired, you don't go on there again until you want another job. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn's a little different because it's a social platform, but it's still the same thing. It's not really the community. It's you and your friends or followers, connections, whatever you want to call them, but it's still not, doesn't mean that you're, you're receiving culturally what you're looking for via that platform. And because it's a more of a professional platform, some people still aren't able to be the, their, their home selves or their full selves on those platforms. That's why a lot of people, why do you think a lot of people aren't on LinkedIn on the weekend or after work hours? Because mm -hmm. you turn it on and then you turn it off. Yeah, like because they're being their Facebook selves. <laughs> right yeah, no, that's facts. facebook gets you on the weekends and after hours um, right. and so and so black tech talent is different than than all of that because 
you're coming, you you may come to us to because you want help finding a job, and then you find a job, but you keep coming back because you want to come to the to the happy hour. You keep coming back because you want to watch the content. You keep coming back because you want to make new friends. You keep coming back because you you now would like to be a mentor and you want to mentor the next person that's trying to find a job or you want to help look over resumes and give advice on, on how to better interview. So we are a community that keeps coming back no matter where the person is in their life cycle of their career. That's one big thing that that already separates us and is going to continue to separate us uh as we grow Mm -hmm. i get people that that literally are like telling me that don't don't even know me yet they may just be discovering black tech talent that are like telling me like oh i've been trying so hard to find a job i even had situations where you know i the the interview process was great until i got on zoom and then it stopped and I feel like it's because I'm black. So I'm having those conversations. These, uh, these, these people at these corporations are not having those conversations. I'm having them. These white-owned recruitment companies are not having those conversations. I'm having those conversations personally. So I know what the problem is, and I know how to solve it. That is a, uh, you know, a good point that you brought up around uh, the podcast, you know, because I've listened to uh, a few episodes, right? And, and I suggest everybody go out there and, and take a listen because to the point that Mike, Mike, what you just brought up, you know, uh, you have these very talented individuals, right? Um, that are within our communities, they're black and brown. Uh, but a lot of times they're representing us in these rooms where they're the only person from a, from a cultural perspective, visually, they're the, one of the only people that looks like us. And so, you know, on that podcast, you guys really dig deep and they, they're able to share what that, what that whole experience is like, because you think, you know, once you get to, to some of these, these, these big tech companies that, you know, we all know the names of them, the household names, you know, things are easier. Right. Um, but that's not always the case, because in certain instances, they're representing for all of all of black culture in certain in certain people's eyes. Right. And so, um, you know, I appreciate you, you know, um, bringing up that podcast, because um, similar to our message here, we got to make sure that we tell those stories, just like you were telling your personal story um, about some of those experiences that you had with law enforcement. We got to really figure out how to get this, this message out, keep the conversation going, like you said, because, you know, the battle, the, the, the conversation can't end. You know, the journey is not going to end for any of us. We, we all are going to make it through the good times and the bad times. And throughout that, you got to have ways to really um, communicate and just have somewhat of a bonding experience. You can't you can't hold in all these experiences um, good or bad, right? You got to have outlets. Um, and social media isn't necessarily just a thing you throw at everything, right? You got to have that community, like you mentioned, um, that you're building that Black Tech talent. Yeah, definitely. So you gave everybody an hour of gym after gym after <laughs> gym. Um, you know, in closing, my, I want to um, pass it to you, you know, let everybody know how they can reach out and leverage black tech talent and um, anything they should be looking forward to hearing um, about um, you growing that platform out. Yeah. Uh, of course, blacktechtalent.org. That's the website. You can also find us on meetup, which is where we host a lot of our, our community. So it's meetup.com slash blacktechtalent. 
can go on there and search us, Black Tech Talent, on all the other social platforms. So Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, and like I said, being a part of the community is about how you participate and you engage with us. So, you know, if you're if you're an ally, you can be a part of the community by providing resources, or if you have a skill that that you know can help uh, further our mission you can be a part of the community. I consider all of our corporate clients that are actually, uh, you know, spending the money, sponsoring, supporting, posting jobs, figuring out other ways to work together. They're a part of the community as well. People who are sharing uh, the content that we're putting out and commenting and, and, and liking, you know, you're a part of the community. So join this community, join this movement. And it's a, it's a huge opportunity for economic inclusion. And I say this a lot, and I say it because it's important to illustrate what we're looking at. There's 900,000 unfilled positions in IT in, in the US. That's only gonna keep growing. Of the positions filled, only four to 7% go to black talent and that's both men and women. So that means out of almost a million jobs, black people can look forward to only 63,000. It's too low. Way too low. And I want, and the other thing, you know, I want to add to that, and this is something that I added to one of my presentations I did the other day. When we look at people that are, you know, put on a pedestal like Jeff Bezos with Amazon, like Steve Jobs, uh, you know, Bill Gates, uh, some of these people who have created, you know, the, the tech giants, Mark Zuckerberg, um, we look at them. We look at people who build these, you know, what they call them in the VC world, unicorns, right? Companies that are going to do hundred million or a billion dollars plus. Uh, we look at at these people as far and few. We look at them as special. We look at them as geniuses, and the reason that happens is because we're only looking in in a pool of white men. If you add black people and brown people to that pool, you're going to find out that those people aren't necessarily geniuses they're not dumb they were smart had great ideas but they had a lot of resources behind them mark zuckerberg without people trying to sell facebook and get investors is nothing it's a website at the end of the day we're just as innovative we're actually more innovative because a lot of times we have less you know i built the premium experience i funded that myself five different developers you know, it took years to build to figure out and started off as a non-technical founder. And I built a platform that is more intuitive to what promoters and venues need for events than the biggest companies out there that are doing it. But, I, but it hasn't been, I haven't been invested in yet. Mm. I built, you know, there are companies, like I said, um, and great companies that that are you know working on inclusivity. Some of them are even black owned, brown owned. Uh, they haven't done what I've done in five months. So, at the end of the day, those those people are special in the white community. But as as a worldwide view, you know Elon Musk, all these people, as a worldwide view, once you become more inclusive and once you invest in people and stop looking at black and brown people as risks to invest in, you will realize that there's a lot more innovation, 
There's a lot more ideas. There's a lot more hustle when it comes to us. And so this is, like I said, this is business. It's not charity. When you hire black people, you're going to get hard work and you're going to get smart work. You're going to get all of that. You're going to get us working harder and smarter than you've ever seen anybody do. And if you're not inclusive, when you get us, then they are going to leave and go to a different, a better company, a better city, or they're going to become entrepreneurs. Because if you're working them to the bone, you're not giving them praise, you're not giving them raises, you're not giving them uh, position promotions. They're going to look up and they're going to say, why am I working 80 hours a week for you when I could work 80 hours a week for myself? That's facts. It's about, uh, you know, the entrepreneurs like yourself, again, and just the one the ones that I've had conversations with on previous episodes, you know, they were willing to take that gamble on themselves. And like you said, they notice in terms of how valuable their time is, their time is very, very valuable. Right. And so if I'm not getting the proper um, kind of uh, pay for my my time, right, not not t- taking everything else out out of the, the picture, 24 hours in a day, we all have an idea of what our time is worth. Um, if you you're, you feel like you're not getting that at your nine to five, um, I think a lot of people are just now more than ever, there's a lot of tools out there for people to take that gamble on themselves. I know it's not going to be easy. It's not, it's not a easy decision to make. You're going to have some hard days, but ultimately you can't lose taking a gamble on yourself. You can never lose. Yeah. And, and to, you know, get on the, the entrepreneurship side, it's not supposed to be easy. It doesn't have to be hard, but we, we have to take, uh, when I say we, I mean society, we have to stop looking at things as easy and hard. Sometimes we have to look at it as it is what it is, right? One plus one is two. Sometimes you have one and it's going to take some work to get the other one so you can get your two, mm-hmm. but one plus one is still always two, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, it's a process. The more you understand your process and where you want to go and where you want to be, um, the smoother it, it'll it'll go. Like I said, with Black Tech Talent, so far it's, it's going pretty smooth. Now, there's different ways it could have been smoother. I could have, some people come out the gate before they launch with an investor. We don't have an investor. We don't have a bank loan. I'm fun, I'm paying for it myself even while taking an L on my other company this year, right? And so there, there are things, but I'm fine with doing it the way I'm doing it because A, I'm in control and B, we can grow organically and learn uh, and be you know conservative with our funds until we do get to a place where we're being invested in um, or, or we decide to, to to you know take a loan or, or whatever it is so we can scale you know but as far as easy or hard those things exist but I, so i'm not saying they don't exist what i'm saying is is you have to take inventory on what is what is supposed to be easy what's supposed to be hard and then what is what it is if you want to work for yourself these come see a lot of people go you know i'm doing this for you i could do it for myself but can you? Because do you know what the person at the top is doing? Your your manager might be an idiot or a jerk, but they're just they're just they didn't they're not the ones who built the company. Can you do what the person who built the company did? Mm-hmm. That's the question. 
your competition is not your manager or your coworker who got a raise and a promotion and you feel like you're better than them so you can go off and do it on your own. Can you do what the founder of the company did? Can you do what the CEO of the company did? Can you look at the top your top coworkers and go, when I work for myself, I'm going to be doing all these jobs that all these people are doing myself. The marketing, the accounting, the recruiting, the sales. You're going to do all of that yourself. So that's that's the question. When you want to know when to, you know, and, and this is the first time I've been able to say it that clearly because people ask me all the time when to know when to quit your job or go off and do your own thing. When you can look around and say, not I'm smarter than my manager. When you could say I'm I'm just as smart or smarter than the founder, than the CEO, and all these top five employees in these different departments, I can do. I, I'm willing to do that myself in order to work for myself. That that's when you know when you're coming from corporate. Me, I'm a natural born entrepreneur, so I've always been an entrepreneur. Even when I've when I've had jobs. I always had a business I was building on the side and the job, the purpose of the job was to help fund the business. So I never went uh, like a super corporate route where I was getting a big check and it was a huge decision to switch my lifestyle from corporate to entrepreneur. I've always been an entrepreneur. That's, that's always been my, my only option, but having worked with a lot of corporations and not having knowing more people over the last, you know, four or five years that working corporate at a high level that tell me like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Some of them are branching off to be entrepreneurs. You know, that's that's the question you got to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not about, oh, I, I, I just don't want to work here because I'm they're overworking me. I could do this for myself. You can, you can, but be realistic about your expectations. Be realistic about knowing that it's going to take a while before you can pay yourself. Be realistic on, are you building a mom and pop size business? Are you trying to, you know, be the next, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, are you trying to, are you just trying to make, you're making 80,000 at your day job. And you, if you made 80,000 on your own, you'd, you'd be just as happy. Uh, you got to weigh the perks. You might lose health insurance if that's a perk at your job, a company car. But I know a lot of people, especially now, now when we get back to us, black and brown, you know, P, I know people who are working, like crazy, two, three jobs or one job and plenty of overtime, 11, 12 hour shifts that don't have any of those benefits. So they have nothing to lose becoming an entrepreneur. They, the, the only thing they're going to miss is maybe some of the resources and, and the capital. But once they figure that out, they've already got the hustle. But for people who have really a nice job, but you, you may just be unhappy with, with that job or, or maybe you're just you're not unhappy, but you're just curious on how you would how you would go about doing your own thing i encourage everybody to do it try it even if it's a side hustle because that's you know like i said that's how i live my life but for anybody wondering when to do it or how to do it i think that's your first question is before you even look at the finances before you even go can i afford to start a business or can i afford to not work my job well let's talk about mentality the mentality you have to have mm-hmm. can you compete at a high level with those that you aspire to be like or aspire to beat out? That's the first question. Then you, you the money and all that, you can figure that out later. The first question is, do you have the mentality of a winner, of a hustler? Uh, do you have the mentality to not give up when things get hard? 
Uh, I've been depressed running businesses. You know, I've had dark times where I'm losing money on something or something is not going the way I want. And I had to fight, fight my way out of it and do what I had to do and overcome those things. Like, because I didn't have what was more depressing than being depressed when things aren't working is thinking about not doing it at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's, that's, that's the inventory people need to take before they even decide to jump into it. Unless they're not going to, unless it's not that serious to them. Dude. Unless they're just like, yeah, I just want to try something, see how it goes. But, but unless you're, then that's when it becomes that unicorn thing where a lot of people don't just try something to see how it goes and become super successful. Sometimes it happens, but. Yeah, I think, but I appreciate you sharing that because again, you know, um, when I started the podcast, um, one thing I noticed was that, you know, minority business owners, they were figuring out COVID, right. They were figuring out how to run their business throughout that. But the stories that I was hearing to your point, right. There's ups and downs throughout that whole process and it's something where you got to have that mentality, mentality, like you said, to be the one you want to wear all the hats. You know, like you said, you got to all these different functions. You got to be the one to take ownership of that. When you have a team, you got to make sure people are paid, make sure people have benefits, um, make sure you're there to lead them in good times and bad times. And so that's that's a lot to um, chew on. That's a lot to think about. Um, but when you're able to make that decision, like you said, it's not necessarily a conversation of do I have the capital or do I have the resources versus you're just going to be a hustler, like you said, and figure it out. So I appreciate you sharing that because um, I think that goes unsaid too many times and people kind of get hung up on all the other outside noise outside of do you want to do you want to be the boss right no right and being a boss is being a is being a leader mm-hmm. good times and bad times right yeah so everybody mike has given so many gems in this hour can i tell you guys like i appreciate mike um for hopping on like he said uh black tech talent across all social media and google if you google black tech talent i think mike has the first page on lock yeah. um, i'm envious of uh businesses that have that first page on lock uh, <laughs> but again mike's branding the just the approach that um he gives to um putting black tech talent in the right light um for for tech technologists like he said like we said earlier like that's very important um I, his attention to detail that's something that i admire um i'm i'm noticing all the um the great things that he's doing um, in the Twin Cities and really outside, right, in terms of uh, the recognition that you're getting, Mike. Um, you, I want everybody to go out and check out Black Tech Talent, uh, spread the word. Um, and again, thanks for tuning in to the Beyond Normal podcast, everybody. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond Normal podcast. We can be streamed across all major streaming platforms in addition to YouTube. Come back again. Wow.